Hello, it's us again. I'm Simon. <laughs> no, I, you don't laugh when I'm about to say I'm Simon Mayo. <laughs> and I'm Mark Kermode. Okay. Anyway, what's coming up on the show today? Uh, we've got reviews of Father Stew, The Quiet Girl, Vortex, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Drover's Wife and The Essex Serpent. Which we were talking about last week. And we have a special guest. He is Gaspar Noé. He's directed seven feature films, including Irreversible. Irreversible. Uh, Enter the Void, Love, Climax, different films, three years apart. <laughs> Lux Good Eterna, clarification, yeah. thank you. And now Vortex, which we'll be chatting to him about later on in the programme. And as if that wasn't enough. On Monday, there'll be another take two. We'll be spoiling Licorice Pizza. And we'll have some extra Gasper stuff, uh, doing a one frame back on mythical sea creatures. And in the meantime... Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So, the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed Indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, here we are again. thought you might be interested in uh, in seeing this. Go on. Um, because we talked about it last week. Ooh. Oh, you've there brought you the gong along. Wow. It's a gong along. Simon. On take. It's an MBE live. Uh, what does the little thing say? Oh, it just does says. Does it say non-returnable? No, it says when, you, when you're allowed to wear it. Oh, there's literally rules about when yeah. you can wear also, the Also, it says if you get another one, you have to give that one back. This is Simon's MBE. What, if you get a higher honour? Yes, if you get a higher honour, you have you to You can't wear the two back. of them together. But then can't, can't, how do you get to do the General Zukov thing with the entire chest well, of medals? Maybe, uh, maybe Jason was just um, hamming it up. Are you allowed to wear it now? I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear it during the show. It says a miniature badge. A miniature badge to wear with evening dress may be purchased from. That's not... The most Can you imagine wearing a, going out for the evening and wearing a small one? When decorations are to be worn with evening yeah. dress, the badge should be worn in miniature. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. So you so you have to get a little one. Yeah, but I'm going to wear the, <laughs> when you're doing the show. I'm going to wear the big one in your honour. <laughs> what do I do? I have to address you as O Queen? Yeah, that'll do. Uh, anyway, so uh, we proceed. A little word on the extra takes, by the way, Mark. Thank. Why was that? That's no, all right. That, go on. That was a very. Heavy I know where sigh. this is going. Thank you to everyone who's joined us so far. We know about uh, take one, so that's this. Take two, we've just talked about. But there's a very special treat coming. Yes, this is a new use of the word treat. We are that going I to previously do encountered. our first take three very soon. It's endless. In, there are infinite number of takes. Yeah. And it's called the doctor's commentary. And uh, the apostrophe is after the S. 
It is possessive, but it's also plural. Mm -hmm. It means that you can watch along with us some cinematic greats. The first, the first one will be... Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Go to, which, which, some cinematic greats. On Disney+. Greats. The first one will be Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Which... Which person thought those two phrases belong together it was in the a same paragraph? Huge number one movie. So sign up and you can listen to Mark being tortured for two hours and 23 minutes. Oh, good Lord. And drop us a line on your thoughts on that film to correspondence at kermodemayo.com. That's correspondence at kermodemayo.com. Subscribe to Extra Takes on Apple Podcasts to get all of that. Or if you prefer a different platform, head to extratakes.com. Dot com. Anyway, here's some correspondence at kermadameo.com. Simon Mark, and thanks very much for everyone who's got, got in touch, by the way. Thank you very much for the very nice things you've said. Also, hello to our listeners around the globe, including uh, Paraguay and Bolivia. Wow. Uh, we have uh, wow. subscribers in. Anyway, Simon and Mark, as if it was meant to be, I'm listening to your brand new podcast just hours after its launch while I'm waiting for keyhole robotic surgery to remove my bad kidney. Your witty banter, though witty has been excised from this, uh, is helping me worry less about what's going to happen and ease me into it like settling into a warm bath. May I ask a serious question? Keyhole robotic surgery, meaning that, sorry, I'm not, this isn't a joke, this is a serious question, mm -hmm. that the surgery is performed robotically? Yes. Or that the all the information the, I have is here. Or I that the emailer is a robot. Now I imagine it's keyhole, which we understand. Yeah, it means going through a small space, and then it's robotic. So uh, maybe a uh, a little device. Wow, which is operated externally over here. Science is amazing. Anyway. It's amazing. Steve, we're very pleased to have uh, assisted you, and I hope your recovery is 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 proceeding. Yeah. Uh, this is from Chris Foster, aka Foggy. Dear Baby Spice and Posh Spice. Actually, Scary Spice was also getting an MBE. Really? Yeah. Did she have a long chat with Wills about banging club tunes as well? Almost certainly. I, uh, Foggy says, I've been waiting patiently now for your new venture and was relieved to hear it kick off. <laughs> it didn't kick off. I'm not sure if proposals are really your thing, but oh. I'm hoping that you will make an exception as I don't really have a plan B. So here goes. <clears throat> <clears throat> We stand. Yeah, okay. Well, why not? Okay. I'm going to have to lift, lift up my microphone like I'm on top of the pops. Victoria Greet, you are quite comfortably the best thing that has ever happened to me, and I would love to be able to call you my wife. Love, Foggy. There you go. There we can sit down. Okay. Sorry about the, the mic rattle. I'm not sure uh, what of the above you will choose to read out, if any at all, but I guess that makes the whole thing rather exciting, which the answer is everything. All of it, yes. Um, so, Victoria, over to you. You can email us for next week. Finally. Just, just rather technically, you actually should have got down on one knee rather than standing up. I'm not going to ask you to do that, no, but that's really how you should have done it. Fine, but I'm not proposing. They're having to realign all the cameras. I know, but We've then, completely messed up That would shot. mean we are proposing to Victoria Greet. And we don't. Oh want yes, to that marry. would be very, yes. So we should marry three her. people. Yes. That would be very complicated. Finally, says Foggy, if it's not too much to ask, Mark, I don't want to feel like you're a performing monkey. Mm -hmm. But if Mark could do his famous hot fuzz impression. Oh, which one? Which one do you well, want? Well, there, there's a scripted bit here. You can have any of them. Yarp, narp, morning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't even have to read that. Is it Point Break? Point Break or Bad Boys Two? No, I haven't seen. What, you know, you never seen Point Break. You never know, I mean, which one do you want to do first? Have you ever have you ever fired two guns in the air while going, ah? 
Okay, he's now we have not to... Judge Judy and Executioner. He's my dad. Go, go back to London. <laughs> it's just not my favourite. Funny in the film. <laughs> Less funny when Mark does Morning, it, obviously. Uh, Foggy, thanks very much. Anyway, over to you, Victoria Greet. Let us know if indeed you want to be the other half of Foggy, uh, Mrs. Foggy, or maybe he'll be Foggy Greet. Anyway, let us know. You can email the programme and get in touch. Correspondence at KermitandMo.com. Yeah, I got very confused in whatever you were doing then. Yarp. Give us a fabulous review. Of? Anything. Uh, Father Stew, biographical drama written and directed by Rosin Ross based on the true life story of Father Stuart Long. Are you aware of the true life story of Father Stuart Long? I don't believe so. No, me neither. So the title role, uh, he's only a father at the end. The title role is, is played by uh, Marky Mark Wahlberg. I know you're not allowed to refer to him as that, but Mark Wahlberg. The Reverend Mark Wahlberg. Reverend, no, yes, but only later on. Okay. When we first meet him, he's a boxer punching his way through several kind of brutal bouts, very kind of, you know, bouncy and charismatic, and then his body tells him that he can't be doing this anymore. He's in search of a new career. He goes to Hollywood, believing that he's got so much charisma and so many stories inside him that he will automatically become an actor, become a star. Um, he ends up working in a meat counter in a supermarket. <laughs> whilst he, That's the thing about, you know, I'm an actor, really? Which restaurant? Um, and whilst serving on the meat counter, he, his eyes fall upon the girl of his dreams, who happens to be a devout Catholic. So he then follows her to a church where he's told, just stay away. You are, Really, you are not the kind of person that she's going to be interested in. And then falls into uh, training as a priest initially, I think, in order to impress her. Meanwhile, his mom, played by Jackie Weaver, is sceptical about the whole thing. His dad, played by Mel Gibson, is, guess what? Hmm, warmly supportive. Drunk and cantankerous. Oh, I know. Mean, no. What are you, casing the joint? I come to see you ain't killed yourself. Left my mind dry. You think you're the only one that can keep a bow? Don't get all high and mighty with me, son. I'm still your father, don't you forget that? Yeah, it's lucky you ain't bet one dime on me, huh? I'm praying for you, Bill. Don't you dare! You're violating my rights as a man, as an American. Yeah, so Mel Gibson doing the thing that Mel Gibson does. Here's the thing. This is Mark Wahlberg's project. He put his own money into it. Apparently, at some point, he was in conversation with David O. Russell about doing it, which would have made a very, very different movie. As it is, this is fairly kind of bland Hollywood uh, story about, you know, it's made with the cooperation of... Uh, Father Stuart's friends and family, the blessing largely of the church. And it's one of those stories about, you know, a punchy outsider who goes through a life trauma and comes out the other side as a changed and inspirational character. I mean, th that is, you know, an inspirational story, but there are ways of telling it that might be inventive and exciting. There are ways of telling it that feel like it's kind of, it's by numbers. I was talking to um, Father Peter Malone, who is a... Catholic uh, film critic and film writer who I admire very much just recently about the subject of faith-based movies. And he was saying that the problem with a lot of faith-based movies is that they, firstly, they're preaching to the choir. They, you know, they're, they're preaching to the converted and they tend to put the dramatic stuff kind of secondary to, to, the, to the message, which is clear, you know, front and centre. And I think that that is actually one of the problems. Is although this looks like it might be a different thing, like it's a kind of scrappy story about a boxer who's, you know, his life is earthy and he's a very, very different kind of beast that you would normally imagine going into uh, clerical orders. 
it does end up feeling like a, and I mean this in the in in, in all the problematic senses, a faith based film. Right. It's a film that that for all its kind of appearance of being something different, of being a bit more streetwise, a bit more gritty, it isn't. I mean, I I did struggle with Wahlberg's performance. I mean, I'm a fan of Mark Wahlberg. I think Mark Wahlberg's performance in Boogie Nights is great. It's a shame that he's apologised for being in Boogie Nights because I still think it's one of his best roles. I have, you know, often enjoyed him on screen. This feels like it's his project. It's the thing he wants to do, and not least because it gives him a chance to do some, you know, proper dramatic grandstanding as the you know, the things that life throws at the central character are dealt with with an increasing sort of stoicism. It plays fast and loose with some of the facts. Apparently there's been some criticism about the way in which Gibson plays the father figure. But it's the story is remarkable. It's a shame that the movie isn't more remarkable. This movie just felt very, very much kind of TV movie. Does of the, the week. casting of Mel Gibson, which obviously is box office still, I suppose, but does that mean that you kind of already think this is going to be a Catholic film because Mel's in it. Well, Mel's made films which aren't Catholic films, but his presence in the movie is significant because the interesting thing about Mel, people talk all the time about cancel culture. You go, yeah, if cancel culture exists, how come Mel Gibson's still working? There is, you know, I mean, I still think Mel Gibson's best film is Apocalypto, which I think is what, you know, is is actually a really sinewy and slightly insane and unhinged film, which obviously came, you know, Passion of the Christ is the film that was, you know, that was the great project that everyone said wouldn't work. Everyone, you know, was was kind of comparing it to, you know, Heaven's Gate and a folly. And then, of course, it became one of, if not the biggest selling non-English language movies of all time. But I think, you know, Gibson's presence in any movie now is always a kind of strange contradiction. But as I said, he does definitely prove cancel. People always say, oh, you know, anti-woke, anti-cancel. Yeah, if cancel culture or woke culture existed, Mel Gibson wouldn't be working. Can I just ask you a question about the plot then? Mm -hmm. Because if if Marky Mark really fancied the girl and the girl of his dreams... Mm -hmm. And then he, dis- you would think, well, on the I would become a Catholic then, yes, yeah, exactly. rather than become a priest, yeah, no, because no, no, then no, you it, have to be celibate. Yes, exactly. What's and the point? No, well, and then you can't be with the well, girl. The film in your is t- the, 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 the film goes through. Like, the, what happens is on his journey of discovery, he, he discovers he actually, he's a celibate. He, he actually. <laughs> What I love is your kind of reductio ad absurdum yeah, <laughs> approach just... to this. Yeah, it's it's a story about somebody who is brought to the church for reasons other than spiritualism, Lust. who then finds meaning. Meaning in that kind of they discovered meaning in their lives and in the lives of those they touched. They said Mark no. Wahlberg is Father Stew. He's not the man in entourage. <laughs> From the boxing ring to the confessional booth. Just say no to lust. Later in the programme, we'll be saying no to drugs, but there'll be more of that with Gaspar Noe. Uh, Still to come, reviews of these films and film-adjacent television. Can we ban that phrase? Yeah. Because nobody uses... I think I used it. Well, don't. No, I I won't use it again. I I I I, I apologise for the fact that I did. Film-adjacent television. I know. Anyway. I'm very sorry. So we're going to have reviews of The Drover's Wife, The Quiet Girl, uh, and Everything, Everywhere, All at Once which is a film which does exactly what it says on the tin. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. 
such as? Well, such as High and Low, John Galliano, which is the thought-provoking new documentary from Oscar winner Kevin MacDonald, charting the rise and fall of the fashion designer John Galliano. It's, uh, it traces Galliano's working and private life through the decades, candidly investigating his struggles with addiction and the industry pressure he faced along the way. It features conversations with Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, Penelope Cruz, Charlize Theron, uh, Anna Wintour, and many, many more. And it is showing in UK cinemas from March the 8th. Or you could explore the Women's Cinematographers Film Group, streaming on movie in the UK from March the 8th, as women have found more equal footing in the film industries, directors, producers and screenwriters, cinematography remains a stubborn final frontier. Around International Women's Day, Mubi are spotlighting the artistic and technical work of women working behind the camera, including... Including films such as Annette from 2021, Benedetta from the same year, and more recently, Passages, all streaming in the UK from March the 8th. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Kermit and Mayo. That's mubi.com slash Kermit and Mayo for a whole month of great cinema for free. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed com slash Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Indeed. Film adjacent television. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it again. Correspondence at kermodmayo.com if you can come up with a better uh, way of describing the sort of television which we'll be dealing with, which might be difficult because you're not in our production meetings, but it's stuff Lucky like you. The Essex Serpent. <laughs> Actually, we haven't had any, to be perfectly honest. We've just been given a lot of stats. On the correspondence, Kevin Matthews says, Simon and Mark, did my ears deceive me or did I not hear any actual hello offered to Jason Isaacs yet? Oh, yikes. We did get an, we did, we got a text from him. Yes. Which was very nice. Uh, anyway, so hello to Jason. Hello so, to Jason. Kevin, thank you for the reminder. Anyway, uh, what else is out? A couple of new films. Uh, the Drover's Wife, which is uh, an Australian film. Uh, the Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson, to give it its full title. Do you know the story of The Drover's Wife? And I haven't heard of Molly Johnson either. No. Okay, so it's a Henry Lawson story from the late 19th century about a white woman defending her homestead while her husband is away droving, which is apparently something of a set text in Australia. I confess that I didn't know about it. Leah Purcell, who is a Goagungari Waka Waka Muri woman, is an actress, playwright, novelist, and filmmaker, and has been reworking the text of The Drover's Wife in several mediums, on stage and in print. And now, as her feature debut as writer, director, co-producer and star, she also points out that she does all her own stunts. She plays Molly Johnson, whom we meet um, on her farm, 
telling Sam Reed Sergeant Clintoff that her husband is away droving, but he will be home soon. And when he comes home, you know, she looks forward to him coming over, thing, waving at the children because they're always so pleased to see him. You immediately get the sense that something is off. She's an, an indomitable figure who stands her ground, as you'll hear in this scene, in which uh, Yadakar t- sh- shows up on her doorstep with a shackle around his neck. My Joe be home soon. He's a drover, bringing sheep down from the high country. Your children? What do you know of my children? I noticed the little stretcher beds by the wall, missus. They're none of your business. Yes, boss. He's the boss. I'm just a drover's wife. But cross me and I'll kill you. I'll shoot you where you stand and I'll bury you where you fall. Yes, missus. Thank you, missus. Bury that deep. When she says she's not the boss, you know she absolutely is the boss. So... Pastel said that this this story is is part of popular culture and what she wanted to do by retelling it was to take something that, you know, was almost a set text that anybody from teenage onwards would know and then redefine it and use the story as, and this is the phrase she used, as a Trojan horse. So everybody's familiar with the story of the drover's wife. So you tell the story of the drover's wife, but you tell it in a very, very different way with a completely different emphasis. And you tell it in a way that, from her point of view, uh, tells the story of her indigenous heritage, which has been sidelined. And in this version, that character that you heard there, Yadika, is a, is, a, is a heroic figure, a father figure actually based on Leah Purcell's grandfather, who is somebody who was you know, greatly respected and you know, clearly a man of, of, of great stature and character. And she also incorporates several elements from her own history and her cultural heritage into this framework of a story that everybody already thinks they know. So it's, you know, it's a very specifically entrist bit of filmmaking. Here's a thing that you think you know. Here is a revisionist telling of it that you'll come into because you know that other story. And now, I didn't know the story because obviously you know, you know, I'm not Australian, as you may have noticed. Oh, I, I knew you weren't from somewhere. But what I... What I liked about this, well, a number of things. Firstly, I mean, it is it is a Western. It has that kind of Western widescreen sweep. It's about the relationship between the characters and the land. And obviously, since heritage is so much to do with that, cultural heritage is so much to do with land. And that's one of the things that Westerns always deal with. It has a great score by um, Sadiana Seven Campbell, which really captures both the expanse and the melancholy of the story. It, it can be brutal. I mean, there is a lot of, uh, you know, hardship and toughness and stuff which is you know i mean it's, i think it's all very sensitively handled but it is a tough story but it's a tough story told in kind of culturally occupied territory so it sort of needs to be i mean it is you know what does that mean it means that it's it doesn't pull its punches it's forthright it leads on the front foot it's it's not a it's not a deeply subtle film, but it is a film which is kind of engrossing on a melodramatic level. And actually, when, when you say culturally occupied territory, I mean that everyone knows one version of the story, right. and they're in order to tell another version. Sorry, thank you for getting me to clarify this. In order to tell another version of the story, you kind of you have to do it in a way which is dramatically engaging, and you know, and as I said, very very much leading on the front foot. But I thought it was it was you know haunting and evocative and powerful and as, at times distressing and disturbing, but as it should be. And I thought it was a it was it's just a, a really interesting way of using something which is familiar to a certain audience and using that as use that phrase as a Trojan horse to tell a different story. I liked it very much. I wrote I wrote it down wrong. Um, just so I would remember the name, what I wrote down was the Drover's Wife, the story of Holly Johnson. <laughs> 
which would that would be a slightly different take on eighties eighties pop culture, ZTT, uh, uh, and all that. Okay, so that's that's Drover's wife. Uh, what else is uh, what else is out? The Quiet Girl, which is an Irish drama adapted from a twenty ten novella by Clay Keegan, which I haven't read. Set in Ireland in the early eighties. Played in uh, Gaelic Irish with English subtitles, uh, written and directed by Colin Barade. Catherine Clinch's Cot, who is a young, somewhat withdrawn girl who lives with her boorishly aggressive father and her siblings and her mother, who is pregnant again and is expecting another child. With a baby on the way, there are too many mouths to feed. And she is taken to a relative's house, Evelyn, who lives with her husband, Sean. And they're very pleased, if slightly initially kind of slightly cold to take her in. They, they, they said, no, it's fine. We, we will take her in and we will look after her and she's welcome here for as long as she needs to be here. And she's told very early on there are no secrets in this house, but there clearly are. There is clearly some shadow that's hanging over their relationship. And at first, the husband is very standoffish, particularly when the young girl is given a boy's clothes to wear and he sort of seems to be disapproving of this and you're not quite sure why. Gradually, however, things begin to thaw and the young girl starts to discover what it's like to be loved, what it's like to be to be given care. At one point she's told, you know, you were there all the time. You just needed to be cared for. You just needed to be tended to. And she says very little. I mean, the title is The Quiet Girl, but her face speaks volumes. And it is such a brilliant performance by this uh, young actor. Um, it's shot by Kate McCulloch and the... Both the the shape and the texture of the image has got, firstly, it's got that feeling of a memory. It feels like a sort of, like it's something from the past. But also, it's it does a very good job of capturing the way in which when you're young, your horizons haven't yet expanded. You're looking very much at what's in front of you. And the film somehow, and I struggle to explain how this works, it shows us the world through the eyes of, of somebody who is still very much looking, you know, right in front of them. But there is a sense that the world is expanding around them. It reminded me at times, and you will understand what a, what a compliment this is, of the work of Celine Siamar, who I think is the most brilliant teller of stories in general, but also teller of stories about children. No higher uh, praise. No higher praise. This is lovely. It's heartbreaking and poignant, and it deals with very, very profound subject matter, grief, death, loss, family, coming of age. But it does it with a lightness of touch that is just sublime. And you would love this film. You would absolutely love it. It has a great soundtrack by Stephen Rennick, who I'm a big fan of anyway. You'll be featuring some of that music on your show. Oh, I will, yeah. So as soon as I can get hold of it, because it doesn't seem to be available commercially at the moment. But I can say this, I, I know this to be true. You would love this film because it's in the same way, you know, we've talked before about movies being humanist, movies that actually that speak to the person. You know, it's, it's just, it is, it is an absolutely beautiful film and it's so low key, but so beautifully done and so profoundly moving. And it's called The Quiet Girl and I would advise everybody to rush out and see it. And a, so a cinematic release. Cinematic release, yeah. Okay. And that's that's general release. I see that in yes, the cinema. You can see that in the cinema, and I and, and please do go and see it because you know it's not it's not a film with a big advertising budget and big exploding whirlycopters. Needs but help. Needs help. Needs our but, help. But it's word of mouth. Really, really worth seeing. All right. 
Sounds fantastic. Still to come, reviews of these films and shows formerly referred to as film-adjacent television. But, but not f- anymore. Not anymore. So we will be reviewing uh, The Essex Serpent, which is a film-adjacent piece of television Stop. directed by Claire Barnard, uh, and Vortex, which is a new film by Gaspar Noé. Uh, yes, we're going to have our chat with Gaspar. It's the always excellent ads in a moment, uh, Mark, but um, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you about my week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hey. What a week. What a week it's been. Where's this going? Why don't I know about this? I read yesterday a horrifying statistic about the decline of educational standards in this country. Did you? Okay. Apparently, 85% of British people can't do basic maths. Thank heavens I'm part of the other 25%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could see it coming. Could see it coming. But when when we got there, it was rewarding. Things not going too well at home, Mark. Um, despite the jaunty music, things... So the music is now working against is, my story. Is, is things not going too well at home, Mark. When the good lady ceramicist here indoors told me to stop impersonating a flamingo, I really had to put my foot down. <laughs> I mean... Okay, it's better. Second gag was okay. better than the first one. Going for the big finish. <laughs> okay, big finish, right. I was washing my car... Uh, you were washing your car. I was washing my washing car, your car with a good lady ceramicist her indoors last Sunday when she suddenly shouted, would you mind using a sponge instead? This episode is brought to you by the good folks at NordVPN. Mark, would you say that AI has been one of the hot topics of the last 12 months or I so? I would indeed yes. say that, Simon. We've had uh, writers and actors striking over the potential misuses of AI. We've had many films exploring the topic, including uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and The Creator, among others. We have, and although technological advancements bring with them exciting things, they also open the door to cybercrime. Yes, and with all these technological improvements, cybercrime will become more accessible to the average criminal and will become more frequent. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again, this is why NordVPN is so important. With one click on the NordVPN app, you are protected, meaning that you don't have to be tech savvy. Their threat protection feature shields your devices from viruses, malicious malware and phishing sites. Also, one NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. Plus, you can get access to streaming services in other regions, all for the price of a cup of coffee per month. To get the best available discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And you'll help support our podcast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Hey, it's Ben Bailey-Smith here, Substitute Taker, and this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. If I had an extra hour slotted into my day, I'd actually get through a question, schmestions. You know, it's I can never quite fit the extra shows in. We all live busy lives these days, and everything seems to move at 100 miles an hour. So how do we know what to make room for? Like, How do we know what's really important when our lives are happening so quickly? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. And if you know what matters to you, you can do more of it. And isn't that why we're really here? So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash kermode. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kermode. Okay, it's time now for Physical Product of the Week, Mark. Yes. Here we go. It's stuff. Options this week include Marry Me, 
Julius Caesar, the battle at Lake, is it Shangjin? Go for it. Revolver and pirates. I have to, this is very North London of me, but the, yeah. when I read that first time, I did think it was Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> also, you missed one out there between Shangjin and Revolver. What does it say? Oh, dog. Thank you. But also Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, Hugh says, hey, Mark, hey, Simon, loved episode one. Can't wait to see the Essex Serpent. Incidentally, my pick for physical product of the week is Marry Me on Blu-ray, a film Mark hated, but one I really liked. And that done really well, all considered. Did that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it, 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 and it, it did it really was, well. It was really silly. All things considered. But for anybody that does love the film, the Blu-ray is packed with some great bonus features, including how the Madison Square Garden performance was captured. Great. I can't wait to find that out In because front. I definitely came out of that film thinking, I, I, I wonder how the Madison Square Garden performance was uh, was, it, was captured. The live audience. Yeah. John Lish says, assuming this is Reggie Yates' Pirates film, that's my choice. Whack the sound bar up. Haven't got one. Uh, and Annoy the Neighbours. Oh, and it's a charming film as well. It is. You did like that, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. It was I very mean, good. Pirates of the Caribbean, no, but Pirates, Reggie Yates' film, yeah, I liked it very much. A little bit of everything uh, says, a dog is nothing groundbreaking, but is better and more ambitious <laughs> than you might expect, <laughs> while still very clearly hitting the beats of an animal antics movie. Nothing groundbreaking, but worth looking at if you like animal movies but are sick of sappy Marley and Me clones. Mm -hmm. Which is our physical product of the, of the week. week. Well, I do very much like Pirates, but I am going to go for Dog because I, it, I went into it with, with such low expectations. And, it, you know, Channing Tatum is the star and also the co-director. And it is Channing Tatum and a dog for most of the film. And it's really, really good fun and really charming and really enjoyable in a way that it absolutely shouldn't be. Excellent. Full marks to Dog. Uh, our guest today is the Argentinian filmmaker, screenwriter and auteur Gaspar Noé. You might know him as the director of I Stand Alone, Irreversible, Enter the Void, Love, Climax, and of course his latest film, Vortex, about which he's here to talk today. Uh, we're not going to play a clip in as we normally do because this film is in French with yes. subtitles, yep. bien sûr. So we'll get straight into the chat. Here's us with Gaspar. Uh, Gaspar Noé joins us in the studio. Hello, Gaspar. How are you? Fine, and you? Good. Welcome to the Take. That's the name of our of our new podcast. Although it does more, it does sound makes us Gaspar sound as though he's on the Take, <laughs> which is makes him sound dishonest. You didn't think that through, did you? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Gaspar has written and directed Vortex. It's his uh, new movie. Take us into the world of Vortex, Gaspar. Introduce us to this film. It's um, the story of an old loving, loving full couple who um, is going through a heavy situation. The, the the woman in the couple, she's 80 years old, played by Francoise Lebrun, she starts having dementia. So uh, uh, she starts getting disconnected from her life and from her husband. And then uh, the husband, who's a film critic in the movie, played by uh, Dario Argento, uh, is trying to to save the situation, but those kind of situations can only get worse. And they ha also have a, a son who's 40 years old, who's an ex-junkie, but a very cool guy, but a bit useless, who's trying to help them out in that uh, decaying situation. And well, the, the whole movie is about uh, the end of, a, of, a, of the life of a couple. You have um, a quote that comes up at the beginning of the movie, which says, to all those who lose their minds before their hearts. Can you? It happens very often. 
you never know if the, what the newspaper says is true or not true, but I read both that the, like one person out of six is going to have Alzheimer before the end of his life or her life, and also that one person out of three would have dementia before, because there are many kinds of dementia, Alzheimer is just one of them, uh, before the end of their lives. And uh, uh, I've seen it very closely with my grandmother, the mother of my mother, and then eight years ago with my mother, And uh, those situations are very, very complex and rarely portrayed uh, on a movie screen. But, uh, yeah, uh, old age is everywhere. You know, every, uh, yeah, I guess you're on your 50s. I, I'm on my late 50s. But most of the audience that comes to see the movie, when, when it's a young audience, they, they enjoy the movie and they learn about what the, the future is going to be for them but uh, for people who are on their 50s it reminds you of all the struggles you're going through in your personal life and yeah dementia is everywhere it's an interesting uh, question about because we all have to deal with our parents like decaying and, and not recognizing us yeah I mean like you I have first hand experience of a very close relative having had dementia huh. and it's obviously um, a very difficult subject to approach in terms of cinema because it's a hard sell, you know, come and see a movie about the sort of the disaster of the end of life. Tell us about filming it in split screen because it seemed to me that the split screen was used to show two people existing in the same space but separated. And that's it, yeah. <laughs> oh, there we you go. Thank you. you. Okay, we, I don't have to explain. Just, you explain it's a question well. which contains the answer. I know. But, but, but it feels well, when graphically speaking, it's very evident. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a gimmick uh, because uh, you see, like the, there are two lives in separate bubbles, a bit like in, in a comic book, uh, and you understand that they're going through tunnels that are connected and disconnected. It's very weird, but you you really feel that when you when you're with someone who's losing her mind or his mind sometimes they don't recognize you for example my mother uh, at the end of her life wouldn't know uh, who I was or also she wouldn't recognize her own room her own apartment and then uh, you're trying to to see what the person is perceiving but you, you can tell that uh, the person is in another dimension uh, the person is being nice to, to, to you and you're being nice to the person but uh, like the movie inside the person's head is so different that from what you see Were you, and were you always going to do the whole movie in split screen or was it going to be just parts of it in split screen? Uh, initially, I thought it would be parts of it in split screen and parts not also because when the when the when their son's uh, character uh, comes in, into the scene, I thought, yeah, probably for those scenes, I would use one uh, large format with the three characters inside. But uh, I, I ended up deciding that, no, it was better to keep on having a split screen Because on the first day of shooting, I shot one scene with uh, one camera and another scene with two cameras. And the following morning, when we were checking the material uh, in the editing room with my editor, we, we thought, oh, the, the split screen scene is so much stronger than the one with just one camera. So uh, I reshot the same scene the following day with two cameras. So I could keep the, the split screen for the whole movie. You use split screen on Lux Eterna, which is also getting released at the same time, yeah? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, Luxeterna is going to be released on Blu-ray soon. It's going to be shown at the BFI next week. But uh, it's being released now in the States. Theatrically, it's a 52-minute movie. But originally, that other project that I shot two years ago wasn't meant to be in split screen. It's just uh, the I was so unprepared for the shooting that I ended up shooting with two, three cameras to make sure I had the footage. No, I would cover my, the, 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 the scene properly and I had footage for... 
to edit in the, uh, during the post-production and I ended up putting all the different shots all together and I enjoyed using uh, multiple screen in that movie. So when when I started this new production the, during the confinement, I thought, yeah, the, in the, the case of this movie, uh, it makes sense to even more than the, for the previous one to use a split screen. Can you tell us about something about the apartment where an awful lot of the, the film uh, is set? Because the English word clutter... Uh, works very well here. Désordre, maybe, uh, you know, and and we are all defined increasingly by our stuff and the things that we have, the the, the books that we have and the DVDs that we have and the Blu-rays that we have. And can't find. And can't find. But this is... This is who this is who we are, and this apartment has got more clutter in it than almost any apartment I've ever seen. Uh, you haven't seen my apartment. <laughs> I'm obsessed with with collections. Uh, my grandfather had a, a huge. Uh, you know, he had a huge collection of books. So I'm obsessed with books. I'm obsessed with movie posters, DVDs. So for me, like. Uh, it comes with the fact of being an artist or a film critic or an intellectual of any kind to have books everywhere. Uh, I'm surprised nowadays when when they tell you that in New York the bookstores are disappearing. I say, well, so what do people do? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not the same to buy the books on Amazon or eBay. Um, and uh, two years ago, I had a brain hemorrhage uh, accidentally one, one afternoon. I was sent to the hospital, and at the hospital, I said, oh, you, you, hopefully you, you, you arrive soon enough to survive to the first uh, danger, but probably you will die in, fro- in four days from now. And then for during four days, uh, I was on morphine, so it helped a lot. But the, 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 my main issue was, what are, what are my beloved one's going to do with all my collection of books, posters, they don't know the, the prize. The, and probably the, having a collection saved me because I didn't want to leave all that to, 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 to my family. But yet, it's, it's, uh, many people decide to get rid of their stuff before dying because otherwise, like having an elephant... Uh, that's much heavier than yourself. Yeah. You, you nobody wants it. your stuff. I yeah. think that's a realization that you think it's great, and I think my stuff is great, and nobody else wants it. Yeah, it's a ter- it's a terrifying. What's your collection? Thing. What's your collection? Oh, books, films. What about uh, what about CDs, vinyl, all that kind of. But actually, you know, my kids might want two or three. Then the rest of it goes. To- goes to a shop and it goes for like 50 pence I have an entire loft full of VHS's because I can't throw them away because I remember buying every single one and they feel like part of me and I know that when I'm gone somebody would just look at this pile and just trash the whole lot because what would you do with it did that experience of that hemorrhage change you profoundly yeah of course but also I had like three very close people dying of COVID the same year so I had to, to, to I was part of their funeral so yeah I, we were surrounded with the with the, with the COVID with the with my brain hemorrhage and all these deaths so there was deaths and all around and that's just okay can you explain why you asked Dario Gento to be the man because all the characters are, uh, I think as we mentioned they're not named um, mm. what was it that you saw in him because I think this is like his biggest acting no it's the first time he really acted usually he was just playing the hands of the killer or the hands of the strangler in all of his movies like he wouldn't he wouldn't let any other actor (laughs) use his hands to strangle the the, the women but uh, I met him 30 years ago when I was showing my first short uh, at the Toronto Film Festival and we became friends and I started hanging out a lot with his daughter and then uh, his daughter would say oh my dad is going to Paris so I would see him almost twice a year in Paris in Rome in Film Festival 
festival. And we became friends. And he even proposed to help me with the production of my first feature. And so uh, it's someone that I re- uh, whose company I really enjoy. And I always thought he was extremely charismatic. And um, for example, when he was going to introduce a movie in a, at the French Cinematheque, he would talk about the movie for one hour. He would start a monologue and wouldn't stop for one hour. Everybody was <laughs> applauding, laughing. So I, said, I, I envied him. I said, ah, that's, that's a, like a, a real showman. For me, he was more... He had even more charisma than any actor I could think of. So uh, he was my very first idea for the movie. Also because his Italian accent, his his French is very fluent, but his Italian accent. And so when I tried to convince Dario to be in my movie, we started by talking of uh, Umberto De. And I said, oh, yeah, I understand what you want to do. And and he's obsessed with that same movie uh, that w- in which the, the main character was not played by an actor, but but just by a, a random guy and I say, oh, he was great. And, and there you would say, yeah, he was great, but you, you'll be better because you're even more charismatic. And so I say, oh, but I look too young for your part. I say, oh, but we can make you look older. Actually, he's 81, but he, he feels like a young kid still nowadays. There's a bit in the film where I think it's his son that says, dad is Italian and shouts. <laughs> also, I mean, the well, character, that character seems very close to Dario because he talks about Edgar Allan Poe, who Dario is obviously obsessed with. You know, he talks about m- movies and dreaming and you know these are things that concern Dario and Dario before being a director he was a screenwriter and before being a screenwriter he started as a film critic and one of the first interviews he ever did was an interview of Fritz Lang mm-hmm. so he was obsessed by by Fritz Lang and we we put all these posters on, on the walls of the, of the character in the movie uh, of Fritz Lang of Metropolis uh, and Mabuse all, the, all those movies uh, I, I didn't write any lines for him him provides all his dialogues uh, and that's also one of the reasons why he accepted he's not an actor so he cannot remember the the lines especially uh, I think if he had written the lines they wouldn't be as funny and lively as the ones that he created uh, Gaspar Noe's new film is called Vortex we will talk more with Gaspar in take two but for the moment Gaspar thank you very much thank you now I know you've met Gaspar before I have um, and I hadn't met him uh, and until today and I know he's Argentinian because he is Argentinian and I've read all the <laughs> stuff that's it but he, he, for all the world that's that interview was full of Gallic charm I yes. thought if he'd rolled up a gouloise or a gitane I would not have been surprised it's interesting because it's perfectly possible to get the impression that if you look at Gaspar Noe's back catalogue which is extreme cinema and then some you know if you're looking at films like Into the Void and Love 3D and Irreversible as a, you know, which I carried somebody um those are really sort of full-on experiential films. And I've seen Gasper introducing his films when he's kind of, you know, bouncing around. And it was it's very interesting to see him as, you know, as thoughtful as he is. But not least because Vortex is a very, very tonally different film to his previous work. I know that, that he says that there are comparisons with somebody. It is very, very different. So at the risk of repeating some of the things he said, so it's a couple played by uh, Francoise Lebrun and Dario Argento. Um, Argento, who will be known to most people as the director of films like Suspiria, the original Suspiria, Profondo Rosso, um, opera, is writing a book about films and memory and dreams. And he's quoting Edgar Allan Poe. And clearly his character is very, very close to Argento. It is, you know, it's an Argento-esque character. His wife, um, who still writes prescriptions, is in the process of succumbing to uh, dementia, to Alzheimer's, and becoming lost to her husband and son. And the way the film is shot is that it's a split screen, so there's two screens, 
um, that you see side by side, that again, as we just discussed then, gives you the impression of people living in the same physical space, but separated. And e even though occasionally the frames cross over, I mean, there are moments when there's two cameras looking at the same thing and the frames do cross over. Somebody will reach from one frame into another. At one point, one of the characters has, has, has two heads because of, because of the way that, it, that it's framed. And I think, and gradually during the course of it, the separation between them widens and the gulf between them gets, you know, worse. But also the film is keen to remind us that everyone's life is more complicated than you would think. And characters who you're introduced to, you know, as one thing, as the drama expands, you realise that everybody's got all these alternate lives, these other lives, these hidden lives going on at the same time. So... Obviously, the whole thing feels very naturalistic. You do feel that you are watching these things play out for real. Um, I think that anybody... I mean, obviously, we've talked about films addressing uh, Alzheimer's before. You know, there was the Anthony Hopkins uh, film just recently. Yes. One of the reasons Vortex works well is because I believe in the characters, because the characters are very, very close to home. Secondly, anyone who has had any experience of relatives or loved ones uh, dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia will will recognize the strange sort of flow of, like at some points, the central character knows uh, seems to know nothing, but at other points seems to be coherent. And that thing about drifting in and out, coming in and out of the frame, as it were, and the, the sense of the gulf between people widening, but then suddenly the, the water's closing up again. The, the analogy that I'm reaching for is, you know, there's that causeway. There's an island somewhere in the Thames, I think, where they shot the woman in black, and the causeway opens up, and then the causeway close, you know, and then the yeah. waters come across it. And it's kind of like that. It's, it's There's a weird tidal thing to it. And I do think the film captures that well. Um, it is a long film. It's two hours, 20 minutes long. And I read about that. And I think it's a it's necessarily a difficult ask for uh, you know for, for distributors because it's it's not a film with a you know great happy it's not a film which ends with Hugh Grant doing a song and dance number like at the end of Paddington Two this, this drama is going only one way but I think it is I think it's sincere and I think the split screen works a lot better than I thought because I have to confess that when I heard that that was how it was done I slightly flinched and thought oh okay am I, is that going to work for me did it work for you I think it did actually I think that whole I mean you mentioned it in the interview but that that whole idea of living separate lives which is what they do uh, which is what they are doing increasingly it did accentuate that and I thought I mean I, w I don't want to watch it again but I can imagine if I do watch it again I might see a different film because yeah. he doesn't know which screen we're mainly watching in fact are we watching them both at the same time can you actually take yeah. that in i think you probably can so i thought it i thought it worked oh, that's no, that's fascinating that idea that you're not actually sure which of the two screens the audience because you do as you watch it you definitely do see because, both no you i think you choose you, you one choose or, okay. one or the other because there are scenes in which for example he's in the apartment and she goes out and she goes to the supermarket and gets us and then he goes out after and there you are there is you are absolutely invited to concentrate on i mean you're watching both of them but you are actually focusing on one of them and i found that i instinctively focused on him I focused on what he was doing, partly, I think, because he's a film critic and he's a film writer and he's male and it's Dario Argento. No, but you know what I mean? It's like, I know that's a crass thing, but you, you that was where my, my eye was led. So, yes, it is fascinating that you watch it again. You might see a different film.
that's why, uh, yes, I think there's a whole bunch of things which, are, which it would repay going back to. Yeah, and I think it, it, it is more than a gimmick. I think it does work. It does make sense. It does, it, you know, it does actually tell the story. And you mentioned Amor and is it The Father, wasn't it? The, yeah. the Anthony Hopkins movie. And I wonder if as this becomes increasingly a problem, which filmmakers are aware of because their parents and their grandparents are, have these stories to tell, that it will feature more and more in mainstream movie making well, because it, it's a it's a it's a real fact for so many people. And it was fascinating when Gasper said that people are now more scared of Alzheimer's and dementia than they are of World War Three. And then he said, "Well, people of our age." It was also nice that he said, "You know, you're both obviously in your fifties." Yeah, I, I, I noticed you didn't correct him. I absolutely I noticed did not. you didn't. I thought you about saying right. something, just, but I thought I just let it lie. I thought we'd leave I just it. let it be. Well, well, going back to the title of, of one of his other films, Irreversible. That's you know that as soon as you're talking about dementia, this is not going to this is this is going in one way. Yeah, and of course the interesting is a problem for filmmakers. The interesting thing about Irreversible is that one of the arguments about it is it is a film that demonstrates that a revenge movie can only have a happy ending if you play it in reverse. Yes, I'm going to have to think about that. Maybe I'll come back to it in take <laughs> two. It, yeah. You know, that's the whole point of it. Anyway, uh, Vortex uh, is Gaspar Noe's current movie. There'll be more with Gaspar in take two. We had Tom Hiddleston on the show. We did last week. He was a splendid guest, wasn't he? He was. He had great hair. And also, I he... wanted to ask him about his hair products, but I understood that we didn't have time. No, we could get some extra sponsorship. Though. That would have been quite good. You know how the most unflattering image of everybody is that one on a Zoom call yeah. or when you when you see your reflection in your iPad or in your yeah, phone. Except not him. Unless you're Tom, Tom Hiddleston, Hiddleston, in which case... He just looked fabulous. rakishly fabulous. Anyway, he was with us uh, last week to talk about The Essex Serpent. It's out today on Apple TV+. Plus. What did you make of it? So six parts, um, of which I've watched all six, but I've the thing I have to learn is... Let's only talk about the, the sort of first few because I'm 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 I, I don't I, I now want to spoil it for you. No. Although it's, but I'm not going to because you're. You know, I'm only so. four episodes in, so I still have two to go. Okay, so I haven't read the source novel. Had you read? No, I haven't. I've had it recommended to me. Okay, a lot, yes. but I have ignored those recommendations. <laughs> so this is the first time I'm coming to it. Okay, so the story basically is Claire Danes is Cora Seaborn, who is. A, she comes to a point in her life when suddenly new horizons open up. She's a naturalist who goes to Essex in search of a legendary sea dragon, sea creature, which has been sighted. And it turns out is the subject of, you know, local mythology. Images of serpents are carved into the, the, the local church ornaments. Tom Hiddleston is the vicar whose flock believe in the serpent. They believe that the serpent is not only real, but is also some kind of divine vengeance. A child goes missing. The local children are terrified. And I think it's in episode three. Um, there is this scene which very much recalls Carol Morley's film, The Falling, in which there is a classroom in which it seems like some kind of communal possession or hallucination or whatever, fainting fits, is taking place. And the film kind of almost tips over into being a full-on gothic supernatural ghost story. And meanwhile, the central character, played by uh, Claire Danes, is not being taken seriously by the scientific establishment. I mean, like Kate Winslet in Ammonite, you know, that thing about mm -hmm. she discovered all this stuff but still not kind of able to find a there place. There were fossils, the yes. Fossils, exactly. Meanwhile, Hiddleston's vicar is having problems with 
people losing the faith. I mean, people believing in serpents and devils and demons and turning to the church. So at the center of it all, you said this thing about it's not about a serpent. Okay, and well, I, I just thought it was worth picking that up and running with it for yeah. a while. The question is, what is the serpent? And there are many things in the drama that could be the serpent. So it's about faith versus rational science versus rationalism. It's about religion versus psychiatry because we see emergent psychiatric processes. We also, you know, hypnosis. We also see the birth of heart surgery and, you know, dealing with with corporeal matters in a scientific fashion rather than dealing with them in a kind of, you know, mythical fashion. So it's happening at a time when everything is in flux, when, you know, established systems are breaking down. There's a whole uh, underlying story about socialism and housing and, you know, and the rising movement for workers' rights. So everything is in flux. The old systems are breaking down. The new systems are emerging, but they're not yet accepted. And all of those things can be interpreted in some way as the serpent. I mean, is the serpent... The, the the river that snakes through the marshes is the serpent, the branding that somebody bears on their body as a, you know, part of their own personal backstory. Is the serpent the hysteria that seems to be engulfing the children? It, the thing that people believe in because when you take away the thing that they believe in, they need to believe in something else. Interestingly, when I started watching the series, I found the first episode quite hard to get on with. I mean, it's directed by Clio Barnard, and partly I think I found it hard to get on with because the tone of it is very different to Clio Barnard's films. So if you look at something like uh, Alien Ava or, you know, Selfish Giant, they have a kind of an almost documentary verite feel to them that is what I associate with Clio Barnard. This is much more theatrical. It's much more, It's obviously it's an episodic drama based on a literary source. So of course that's going to be the case. And I particularly found Claire Dane's performance brittle in the lead. And I confess that I never fully relaxed into her performance throughout the whole series. Tom Hiddleston, fine. Corner pocket, absolutely believed him entirely. I mean, mm. you and I spoke to each other after having watched a couple of episodes, and you said, "Well, he's basically playing Tom Hiddleston, isn't he? He's the character who's he's very, he's very Tom. He's very Tom, yes. and he's very good at doing that. And that's in no way to diminish the performance because it's a very good bit of casting. And did you tell me was Claire Danes? Uh, uh, did she stand in for somebody else who was cast? Is that? I, I can never remember the things that we can talk about and the things that we can't talk okay. about. I do remember that Claire is the so I'm, it's the first. TV series that she's done since Homeland. In which she's great. Yes. And I don't know whether I can... All I would say was, I never fully relaxed into her, her casting in that role. It, it, I don't know why, it just just never qu- kind of quite sat with me. And that was emphasised by the fact that I think Tom Hiddleston literally just put those clothes on and walked into the role yes. and felt like he was walking through the thing. But... Having had a slightly sticky start with the first episode and thinking, I can't, it's just, why is this not? It's when we get to the falling, suddenly it was like the whole thing supercharged. And from then on, I was gripped. And from then on, I was swept up in the the story of what is the serpent and why do people believe in the serpent? Uh, the Essex Serpent and it is about the serpent. TV plus the serpent and the apple. See, it's kind of, it's all and there Adam we are. and Eve. That's Which why, you Adam and Eve That's it? why you got an MBE. Uh, right, some what's on now. This is where you send us a short voice note about your special screening or independent film festival or if you've just got an event. Uh, you attach it to an email and you send it to correspondence at Kermodermayo.com. I love the fact that you have to say it like that every time well, in case people think it's correspondence. You didn't think this how... through when you set up that email address, did you, Simon Poole? You didn't think through. 
Oh, you can just click on it in the app, apparently. But if you're spelling it, it's correspondence at kermadomo.com. This week, uh, it's Peter Blunden and Alastair McRae. Here we are. Hello, Simon and Mark. Long-time listener Peter Blunden here, and I'd like to tell everyone about the Romford Film Festival, which takes place from the 19th to the 25th of May at the Premier Cinema in Romford. We have 120 independent films from around the world, including a whole day dedicated to horror. For the full lineup and ticket info, go to romfordfilmfestival.com. Hi Mark, hi Simon. I'm Alistair and I'm a founder of Panic, a new horror club in the Scottish Highlands. Right now we're kicking off our inaugural season, Taking Vampires as our theme, at Eden Court Theatre and Cinema. This Friday, Friday the 13th, at 8.30 is our first film of the season, Thomas Alfredson's Let the Right One In. Following that, we're showing The Hunger on Friday the 17th of June. Anyone wanting to get in touch, we are at panic underscore H-I-T-H on Twitter. Okay, that's Peter Blunden, who you heard from first, then Amazing Peter Blunden. Yeah, Amazing Peter Blunden. Amazing Peter Blunden. They sounded like pretty good festivals, they actually, did. I have to say. And, you know, the, the 31 Spanish, that's brilliant. We Linda and I programmed that version uh, when we did the uh, history of horrors or the yeah, history of horror season at the NFT, which is God, nearly 20 years ago now. And uh, Let the Right One In is a great film as well. And the 22nd of May is when they're doing the horror day in yeah. Romford, if you find yourself in Romford, by the way. Uh, and if, if you'd like to send us a short note for uh, our next show, show a correspondence at kermadamayo.com. Now, still to come, we have reviews of these films. Well, the big one is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Okay. And we're going to be doing our ad slash remove feature. <laughs> Does that work for you? I have no idea. Ad slash remove. Yeah. Ad remove. Ad remove. Remove the ads. Remove the, no, take the no, ads. No, no, no. no yeah, don't yes. remove the ads. Yes. No, we love the yes. ads. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Okay, we're going to be doing the recently renamed feature. Take it or leave it. Uh, plus, we'll do the top ten. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Okay, so now uh, we're back with our recently renamed. Was until seconds ago, <laughs> it, it was, was called <laughs> plus and minus. Now it's called take it or leave it. It could be uh, love it or leave it. Love or more. Uh, what do you think on the one hand and also on the we'll other? Go. It'll probably be renamed by next week. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, this is the stuff that you're recommending. Add, take, or the stuff that you don't like and you want to give a thumbs down to. Take it or leave it. Remove. Paul in Clapham Common in London. Well, uh, he lives on Clapham Common. That's, or is he literally in Clapham Common? No, he as he lives in Clapham Common. He's, he's on a the Womble. Common. He is. No, that's, <laughs> oh, no, that's Wimbledon. Wimbledon. There you go. Uh, Metal Lords on Netflix, <laughs> an enjoyable high school and coming of age story about two best friends starting a postmodern metal band rather than another wannabe Ed Sheeran Formula School band. <laughs> rather than, I mean, harsh on Ed. Really. Rather than an intense whiplash story, Metal Lords delights with a young drummer's first band, his first love and best friend challenges. At times more risky business, but set in a quiet town and no sting allowed. <laughs> uh, okay, that's well, That's a Thank thumbs you. up just for that. Uh, Philippe Everett. You've got Sting's shirt. No, I'm not wearing Sting's shirt. Actually, no, no, but you've got Sting's shirt. I should, I should wear Sting's shirt next week, shouldn't I? 
Go ahead. I don't think I'll get away with it, by the way. It won't mm. look very good on our very lovely studio cameras. And then underneath... Oh, Nuribil Chalon. Say again? Nuribil Chalon. That. Uh, a director I know Mark appreciates and knows how to pronounce. And Ben Wheatley's Happy New Year. Colin Burstyn... Actually, I think it might be Nuribilger. Colin Burstyn, BBC player in the yeah. UK and not available in the US. Another director I know Mark likes. Okay, and an email from uh, Brian. Dear Laurel and Hardy Handshake. Now, if you're going to correspond... With us, I really, really love to know what you think about this email okay. from Brian, because this is something that we won't have faced before, okay. but some people will be facing it now. I'm after a bit of help. We're in the lucky position of having a couple of Ukrainians staying with us for the next few months, okay. and we're having a fantastic time learning about each other's cultures and, more importantly, sampling new food, having already sampled Ukrainian soup and confectionery. I highly recommend anybody who has the space and is considering hosting a family to go for it. Anyway, the reason for this correspondence, I am looking for any movie recommendations available on mainstream streaming maybe BFI player, we can do that, mm -hmm. in Ukrainian or Russian so that we can share some movie-going experiences and make them feel a bit closer to home. Obviously, I want to avoid anything too harrowing or war-related, and it also should be teen-friendly. So, says Brian, I hope you can help. I'm sure there are a number of people in the same situation. Uh, so I'm going to, let's say that Movies, but also maybe if they're not in Ukrainian or Russian, but maybe have those as subtitle options. Yes. So maybe we can expand that oh, just ever good. so slightly. Yeah. So this is this is a very spe specific request. And obviously that second bit is very important. Nothing harrowing. Yes. Nothing war-related. It has to be team-friendly. Yes. Uh, either in Ukrainian or Russian or with those as subtitle op uh, uh, options. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not asking you specifically no, because I'm this isn't your strength. Because, yeah. But if you can help us for uh, the next take, that would be fantastic. Correspondence at KermitAmo.com if you can help. Just like to say, I just right. check this out. I, I was right. Nure Bilge Salon. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And so I, I, did, always, I did knew. When it comes I did to knew. awkward I did know. pronunciation, apart yes, from in English. My favourite subject. <laughs> my favourite subject. Uh, we know where to I go. I can do Apichat Pong Rassetical. What else is out? Oh, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I is do like of, that as a title. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Although, I have to say, for ages, it was being referred to. A friend of mine had seen it and really liked it, and they kept calling it um, everything, every, everything, everywhere, all at the same time. And so, every single time I say the movie title now, I have to kind of correct myself. Get everything, everywhere, all at once. So, this is a really inventive movie that's been in the. It's been a bit of press recently because Jamie Lee Curtis took to uh, social media to say that that, that that their movie was kicking uh, Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. Both, uh, you know, because it was doing doing well at the box office and it cost twenty five million. Where I think Doctor Strange cost around about two hundred million. And so Jamie Lee Curtis said, you know, competitive. Golly, yes. Although she didn't say golly, she, uh, no. she she was very she was very. You met Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Because yes. you interviewed her for the, for the new Halloween movie. So it's a multiverse movie um, that ha that does something interesting with the idea of the multiverse. Remember when we were talking about Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness uh, last week, and I said, well, it it doesn't really advance the idea of the multiverse, although it does have some some interest. Like I think Elizabeth Olsen is the kind of heart and soul of that movie, actually. Although Doctor Strange is in the title. In the case of this, Michelle Yeoh is um, a Chinese-American woman who runs a laundromat with her husband, Waymond, uh, who is, you know, sort of smiling and happy, but their marriage seems to have gone, 
you know, seems to have gone south. They have, they don't appear to have the spark that they once had. And she is ground down. She, they are facing um, an an audit uh, by the IRS, a character played by Jamie Lee Curtis, who tells them, looking at their their accounts, this does not look good. And they have to get through the audit. And she also uh, is facing a problem with her father is visiting, and she's always felt that she disappointed her father. And their daughter is somebody with whom she seems to have lost contact. She can't say the thing that she really needs to say, which she needs to say, I love you. Instead, she says, oh, you're getting fat because she can't think of the right thing to say. The daughter is in uh, a long-term relationship with a girlfriend that she can't tell her father that his granddaughter is gay because she's somehow embarrassed. Everything has kind of reached this point of stasis. She gets into a lift in the tax office and suddenly, Waymond, who is usually very placid, turns to her and says, right, I'm not your husband. I'm another version of your husband from a multiverse. There are infinite numbers of multiverses, and we've been searching for somebody to fight this rising threat, which is going to wipe out all, and you are the only person that can do We know that you're the person, and you have a choice. You're going to get out of this lift. You can either go right to the janitor's closet, or you can go left into the tax audit office. And at first, she Obviously, she thinks this is nuts. Why are you behaving like this? Very rapidly, it becomes apparent that actually she is living in a completely different reality. Um, the production team, in their hilarious way, have chosen a clip that is absolutely dialogue free. Oh, good. Because when stuff starts to happen, suddenly the film starts to leap through different genres. Are you so, going to talk us through it like you did with Doctor Strange? Shall I do that? Shall I talk us through the Okay, so I'm going to talk you through the clip. This So essentially, once the multiverse thing starts to happen, the film starts to genre hop, often like in a really kind of, you know, bafflingly kaleidoscopic way, as our central character discovers that there is more to life than laundry and taxes. Here's the clip. So they're in the tax office. That's a, a truncheon being battered against a... Uh, part of office furniture. Michelle Yeoh is about to uh, engage in a full-on martial arts fight sequence. She's good. With a wooden spoon and uh, a trowel, which is uh, the wooden spoon's just been destroyed. She's now throwing a laptop, which has just been struck into two pieces Rubbish in midair. Top laptop. martial arts action happening in the tax office. She's hitting him with, she's hitting him with a computer keyboard. Which nearly took her eye out. Yes. Aerial, this wire work. Oh, she hit him on the head. She hit him on the head. I mean, I, I don't think we're doing full justice to what's happening here. Well, what can you do? You can't just play it with any... Okay, there are two people having a... She, They're now slapping each other. Slapping each other. <laughs> well, that was... That was uh, a, a whole new genre where Mark actually talks you through an action scene. Well, I thought you did very well last week. And, uh, and basically you. when, so, yeah, so they're in an office. He's got all the kit to have a fight and she's just got a keyboard and a slappy hand. Yes. And yet somehow she manages to hold her own because it turns out that in any given circumstance, she can leap into another part of the multiverse as long as she can find somebody in another multiverse who has the skills that she needs in that particular way, mm -hmm. she can then adopt those skills. So on the one hand, the film obviously owes a debt to Matrix. It's, you know, somebody is suddenly given a, is it red pill, blue 
is it red pill, blue pill in yes, the Matrix? Yeah. So. You know, a choice. Look, you can stay in this world or you can accept the fact that there are lots of other worlds going on and we've we've decided that you are the one. There's a lovely bit in which she's told, we know that you can do anything because you're so rubbish at everything. You are, you know, you failed at so many things that actually that is one of the reasons why you're going to be the saviour that, that we think you are. So the film is then littered with cine-literate references to films like there's a joke about 2001 there's a whole section which is kind of the in the mood for love world there is uh, there's nods to uh, well Fight Club to some extent actually the, the filmmakers said that they, they they started doing this after seeing a double bill of Matrix and Fight Club together and realising how much they loved those 90s movies there's a long extended sequence which is inspired by Pixar's Ratatouille this is directed by they call themselves Daniels. You know their work because it's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schreiner who made um, Swiss Army Man, which is a very, very odd movie. I think a movie that was, you know, kind of overwhelmed with its own quirkiness. I mean, there was something else going on in there, but it didn't entirely work for me. This does entirely work for me. And it works for two reasons. The first one is it's actually doing something interesting with the concept of a multiverse, something that's funny. So it keeps throwing these increasingly absurd worlds in front of us, a world in which people have hot dogs for fingers. Really? Yeah. A world in which, a world which brilliantly, life was unable to be sustained. So all these different things, multiverses are out there because every time you make any decision, it kind of creates another multiverse. So it does expand upon that idea of the infinite, uh, the myriad possibilities of the multiverse. But at the centre of it, it's not about that at all. At the centre of it, what it's about is a really, really recognisable human story about mothers and daughters, about dreams and disappointments, about coming out and coming of age, about understanding that there is a difference between hobbies and professions, but not letting that crush your dreams. It's all the things that it's actually about are things that anybody would recognise as completely normal tangible, real things. And yet it's told in a way that is, you know, kind of really overcranked, uh, cinematically inventive, as if what you're doing is you're jumping between genres. That's as great. if what you're doing is you're flicking through a flick book of a number of different films, a, a bit of this genre, a bit of, you know, there's a little bit of Mexican wrestling movies. There's a little bit of uh, Jackie Chan martial arts movies. There's a little bit of, you know, the, said there's a joke about the beginning of 2001. But it only works if you're emotionally engaged. And I think what the reason that this has found the audience that it has is because, like The Matrix in a strange way, um, The Matrix is, you know, we were talking about this before, that The Matrix is all about that feeling that everyone has, that the world is out of whack, something is wrong. And then suddenly this guy turns up and goes, yeah, you're right, and this is why. And there's a lovely thing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in which Douglas Adams does a similar thing about, oh, no, that's just paranoia. Everybody's got that. Everybody lives with the knowledge of their own disappointments, their own shortcomings, the, 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 the things they should have done that they didn't do, the, 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 the path that their lives could have taken. And what this does is take that very, very simple central idea and then have expand this like a bit of like a kernel of popcorn going, you know, turning into this big fluffy thing. But at the center of it is something that you know and recognize. I guess that we have theoretical physicists listening to this and who's uh, shaking their heads in yes, disbelief. And people who know about astrophysics. My challenge for next week, can you uh, describe the multiverse idea in one paragraph? 
Okay, that's it. And a short paragraph. Because the multiverse is clearly coming up an awful lot. Yeah, it is. And I remember doing interviews with theoretical physicists in which essentially they go, the multiverse is useful because it helps to explain the way everything is. However, there is not a shred of evidence that proves that it's there. So it's yeah. a very useful tool. So in that case, it's basically a religion. So there's no evidence, but very it good. helps to very make good. sense. Yeah. So, but if you, are, if you understand the, this stuff, explain it to Mark and I, assume we know nothing, in a very, very short paragraph. I think people do always assume that. They do. Andrew Davis, uh, Mark and Simon. Last night I attended a preview screening of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once at the fantastic Cinema City in Norwich. Which is a lovely uh, cinema. For obvious reasons, it had been a long time since I'd been to a screening in a packed out auditorium. However, the reaction to this movie wasn't quite like anything I've experienced before. Wow. At the end of the film, the sound of what felt like a hundred completely contrasting responses to what had just been seen bubbled up from, the, from right across the auditorium. The only consistency was an extraordinary sense of release expressed in a myriad of different ways, which was a reaction quite unlike anything I've experienced before in a 40-odd-year cinema-going career. This was a quite extraordinary experience and is probably the greatest testament to the wild ride the film takes an audience on as well as a timely reminder how much more some films offer as a communal experience in a theatre. Lovely to have you back in our ears. Andrew Davis, Heritage Listener. Heritage First Listener. time uh, email. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. There'll be a hundred different responses. Yeah, and I think that's right. Uh, when you've seen it, correspondence at com, and we'll discuss that uh, on next week's programme. Uh, the box office top ten is just into us now. We're doing this at the end of the programme, are we? It's like top, like top of the pops, right? At number 21, <laughs> Wild Men. Which I liked. I mean, it's you know, it's not it's not without shortcomings, but I do think the idea of somebody going off into the Norwegian forests to live amongst nature and then discovering that you can't live on fried frog is in and then going to knock over um a petrol station because you can't feed yourself is inherently funny. A uh, cabaret is at number fifteen. Which we talked about last week we and I hope people went to see it on the big screen because it's it is really worth seeing projected. That film has lost none of its power to amaze. Okay, Into the Ten, uh, that's Ma at number 10, M-A-A-A. Which I haven't seen. That's the Hindi film. If you've seen it, we'd like your review for next week, please. Correspondence at curbedomeo.com. Nine is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Which I want to be better than it is. I mean, there is a standee for it in um, uh, the Curzon Soho, in which it's, you know, essentially, it's Nick Cage standing there doing that thing, and it says the unbearable weight of massive talent, and I want it to be great, and, and it isn't. Uh, okay, that's at number nine. Number eight is Operation Mincemeat. Which I liked. I mean, it's an old-fashioned kind of movie. But, um, you know, it's it's a story that's been told before. It's been told before, in, you know, in, in the Cinematically, cinema. yes, yeah, cinematically. But I, I think still think the title is... I know, is the, ti- the title problem. is not great, is no. it? It makes you go, ugh. I don't think so. Uh, number seven is The Northman. It's number six in America, number seven in the UK. <sighs> I wish I liked The Northman more than I do because part of me just admires the fact that the studio was willing to spend $90 million allowing Robert Eggers to make a Viking movie. But it's no surprise that it's not going to wash its face. And it does, it does have... There are great things in it, but overall it is a mess. Number six is Bad Guys. It's a number two in America, but yeah. it's number six here. Which is, you know, an entertaining uh, cine-literate cartoon, which weirdly enough starts off with a long Quentin Tarantino riff, which is odd. 
Uh, number five is Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. It's which number four I, which in America. I'm afraid I haven't because that came out in, during the interregnum and I haven't been to see it yet because there's been too much out this week. Number four is The Lost City. Which you've seen but I haven't. Yes. Brief review. Well. Well. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's perfectly decent because Sandra Bullock is funny and Channing Tatum is funny. And Daniel Radcliffe can be the third person in that in that story, and it's perfectly fine, you know, without without being remarkable. Okay. Number three in America, number three in the UK as well is Sonic the Hedgehog two. I like Sonic the Hedgehog two enough, but not enough to justify its existence. I mean, the, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog one, it was what it was. Sonic the Hedgehog two, it is what it is. But and I know that pe- I know that people have taken their kids along to see it and th- they've enjoyed it. But it's it's not for me. And uh, number two this week is Downton Abbey. Uh, Chris K says, "How did Hugh Bonneville's character get such a deep tan before his trip to France?" Uh, Dom says, <laughs> "Very much straight to the heart of the periphery." Gosford Park light. But of the two films, I much prefer Downton for its pacing, uh, comedy moments, and overall camp nonsense. I thought it was a big improvement on Downton One. Anyway, that's Downton Abbey. A new era is at number well, two. Well, it's not a big improvement on Downton One. It's more of the same. Only, only this one sends half half the cast abroad because it's that movie, and then other, the other half of the cast does an English remake of Singing in the Rain. But it's got Dominic West in it, who's great. And the UK number one, same as in America, is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Although, as we've just discussed, if you want to see a multiverse movie this week, you're probably better off seeing everything, everywhere. All at once. Yes. Don't forget, a very simple paragraph for very simple people <laughs> on explaining the multiverse. Thank you very much. Uh, correspondence at kermodeameo.com. That is it for Take One. On Monday, Take Two will be out. And you can subscribe to our extra takes on Apple Podcasts to get episodes of Take Two and more fantastic subscriber-only content, which still sounds a little bit dodge, but isn't, and it's lovely. A little bit dodge. But if you're uh, not a fruit-based person, or if you prefer a different platform, head to extratakes.com, where you can find details of how to access all the extra stuff. Uh, studio engineer was Josh Gibbs. Production manager and general all-round stuff was Lily Hambly. Videos on our tip-top and brand spanking new YouTube channel was Ryan O'Meara. Makeup and costume, Kevin Phillips-Bong. Uh, the producer was Hannah Talbot. And now we break for a mid-credit scene. Mark, as Jared Leto, will say something intriguing. Hey, I'm a nominate. I'm a nominate. And the showrunner, Jack Boot of Oppression and Redactor with Simon Poole. Mark, what is your film of the week? I'm going to go for a double bill. Okay. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. And A Quiet Girl. They both sound absolute rip-roaring hits. Yes, they are. Thanks for listening. <laughs>